Welcome to the Wheats on Your Mind podcast. My name is Aaron Harries. Wheats on Your Mind is brought to you by the Kansas Wheat Commission and Kansas Association of Wheat Growers. In this episode, we catch up with Justin Gilpin, the CEO of Kansas Wheat, and talk about current wheat issues. Justin, so much has happened in the wheat world since our last visit. Let's catch up on some activities, both globally and here at the Wheat Innovation Center, but maybe we should start by taking a look at what the 2023 wheat crop was. It's it's in the bins now, and USDA tells it's, it's 201 million bushels, which is not good. <laughs> it was a tough year. I think historically, when we look back on this crop, it'll be one of those years that... Uh, Hopefully, it was a generational type year for South, especially for Southwest Kansas. You know, when you have that high of abandonment with a crop, twenty nine percent abandonment of the planted acres, it's hard to find another year. Some people will reference nineteen eighty nine. You probably remember that harvest better than I do, Aaron. But uh, uh, I believe we're the same age. But thank you. Yeah. <laughs> But it was certainly certainly one that gets talked about uh, as the only thing that could somewhat rival this. But, you know, when you put it in context with the difficult year we had last year, uh, early in my career, somebody told me one time, you know, a drought is a drought is really tough to get through. But uh, back-to-back droughts can be devastating. And I think that's one of the things we're seeing with last year's wheat production for Kansas being at 244 million bushel production and this year you know a historically low number of 201 million bushel those two years back to back you know looking at the numbers to find a back-to-back year productions like that for Kansas that is under 500 million bushels in, in consecutive years that you you have to get back to the 1950s to find a year like that and that's one of the reasons why we've seen some of the pricing dynamics you've seen you know, some of the challenges we're having with hard red winter wheat exports. It's, it's going to take us a while to get back out of this from a from a U.S. hard red winter wheat standpoint because because of this drought. Now, hopefully we get off to a good start. Unfortunately, it's been a little dry here in, in October as the wheat's going in the ground right now. So uh, time, time will tell, knock on wood. But uh, 2023 wheat harvest, you're certainly right, Aaron. It's going to go down in the record books is uh, maybe one that we want to hopefully – forget yeah 29 percent abandonment um which probably has a little bit of impact on plantings and i should say we're recording this episode of the podcast on october 16th and so let's let's take a little peek at 2024 planting winding down in the state right now planting conditions have been dry for the most part and we talked to farmers and some planting into moisture some in in really dry conditions no rain in the forecast, very limited, uh, at least until the last week in October. What are, what are you hearing um, from farmers? It's varying, right? Uh, you know, it's the, you're hearing some challenges, uh, some, some varieties on seed availability as far as getting seed to, to plant some of the, some varieties that are being sought after because of the challenges on production that we had this last year. Uh, some seed is being is sold out. You know, we're kind of waiting on soybean harvest to finish up and, and moisture that may ultimately dictate how many acres get planted in that central corridor. Western Kansas, you know, some of our farmers, that, you know, like if they sound a little bit optimistic because they actually, for the first time in several years, have been able to get wheat in the ground that's actually into moisture and seeing wheat emerge like it's supposed to. 
you know, early on, there's some, some optimism out there because the subsoil moisture profiles are, are better than what they've seen in, in recent memory. The overall acreage, you know, when you last year at 8.1 million acres, and yeah, I know this is where you and I probably can, you know, maybe debate a little bit. The low planted acres for Kansas was in 20, for the 2020 harvest, it was uh, 6.6. So in three years, the state of Kansas has increased wheat planting acres from 2020 to last year's 2023 harvest from 6.6 to 8.1. So half, one and a half million acres have transitioned back into wheat. And so if the consensus by a lot of analysts right now is that winter wheat acres will be up in the United States by roughly 3 to 5%, it's so early to tell. But if you apply that to Kansas, if Kansas would be up another 5%, I mean, you're talking about adding almost 2 million acres in four years for the state of Kansas. So intuitively, I think it's going to be hard for Kansas to increase that many more acres. And I think overall, once it's all said and done, we'll be closer to flat compared to last year but uh, time will tell let's see if we get some moisture to plant into yeah the question is where are those acres going to come from they have that they have to come from some other commodity and i think that's that's pretty hard to pin down especially with the unique situation we have with bean fields abandoned corn fields abandoned you know how are guys going to interrupt their crop rotation so a lot of guessing looking forward on what's going to happen the price has taken a hit the last couple of weeks and and Farmers a lot don't want to hear that, but it has increased competitiveness somewhat for hard red winter wheat on the global marketplace. Well, we've, you know, at the time of recording this, again, you know, like as you mentioned, things things can change pretty rapidly. That's a risk with re- recording this and playing it later. You know, it's, we could, things we say right now, we could be wrong by this afternoon. But it's been encouraging to see some flash sales of soft red winter wheat to China. China has on the books right now almost uh, the largest amount of soft red winter wheat uh, on the books for for importing from the United States and, and since probably about 2014. So that's that's encouraging and and certainly China, Kafka, government buyer, they are very they're pretty price sensitive and seeing them come to the market is an indicator that the U.S. has gotten priced competitively for soft red winter wheat. There has been some incremental hard red winter wheat business done also overall exports on the last uh, USDA WASDE report look at that you know world numbers but then the United States they did take down hard red winter wheat exports again and it was already at 155 million I think they put it down to 145 million and expected for for export this year right now we're tracking uh, you know like you the U.S. wheat exports are kind of on pace to hit what USDA is forecasting even though it's a very poor number, uh, but we are kind of lagging in all exports. If you look across the board, corn and, and soybeans probably showing some some significant lagging behind USDA forecast. But wheat right now may have, as far as forecasts go, may have reached that bottom. And hopefully, uh, we we see some incremental business. And of course, everything that's going on geopolitically and all the conflict that's going on in the world has everybody kind of sitting on the edge of their seat to see what happens. Yeah, things globally have not calmed down since the last time you and I visited. Not only do we have the ongoing situation in Ukraine with Russia's invasion and a report out this morning of a lot of Ukrainian wheat being destroyed, but we have the Israel thing on the map now. And we've talked about it before. It used to be where the United States was positioned to use peace use food as a really strong tool for diplomacy, and, and that does, doesn't does seem to be the case anymore. 
when I was part of that that op-ed article that went out on War on the Rocks about, you know, is the United States losing breadbasket diplomacy? I think that it definitely deserves a broader discussion about how we want to position ourselves with our internal policy, for not only for food security, but for national security. And are we making the right decisions at the national and global level in trying to protect our our uh, agricultural infrastructure and then also our ability to be a major player and have that as a tool in the toolbox when doing diplomacy. So it's it's more about than just being a trade partner. When the United States after the Cold War was able to have such such a dominant presence with being able to deliver not only humanitarian assistance but being an agricultural superpower and being able to promote free market systems to commodities around the world, it was a one way of, of uh, helping create stability. And so when the United States was able to do that, it was one of the reasons why, and I'm definitely not a foreign affairs export, expert by any means, but as we we feel, it just feels like we're in, you know, obviously in a, in a, in a world that's got a lot of instability at play. And as part of that reason, because we've lost somewhat of that, ins, that, that, that influence that's causing that instability because, you know, the, the, is the United States able to be not only from, from a military, economic, political, but uh, I do believe when you look at that cache of things that we want to be able to provide to the world, we have to, from a policy standpoint, include that agricultural food security piece as well from a diplomacy standpoint. And, you know, as we're re- walked in to record this, obviously uh, Israel, uh, the Israeli defense forces are going on getting along the border and the Gaza Strip and on the northern part with Lebanon and what uh, what all may escalate. I think that's what has everybody on edge. Now, does that have a direct impact to wheat and commodities? Maybe it's a, a bigger thing at play here that to worry about other than that. Certainly, uh, it, as the U.S. is potentially trying to be drawn in here by other influences, really makes one sit back and think, have we done all the right things from a policy standpoint and together to actually have a strong voice from the United States, from the free market system to to really try to help negotiate peace and hope out of this? Through your leadership and the leader of our leadership of our former board members in Congress, a bipartisan act was recently introduced, the American Farmers Feed the World Act. And that is kind of that move to make sure the food stays in food aid. Is that correct? Well, that's the main premise behind it. If the United States is going to be able to provide humanitarian support, that hopefully we're doing that in a mechanism that is providing food and, and commodities produced by U.S. producers, U.S. U.S. policy-funded agricultural systems to help deliver that message. And and you know as well as I do when when food is received by those that are in desperate need of that food, when it shows up in a bag saying this is a donation from you from the United States of America, U.S. produced from farmers, it has a a bigger message behind it than when they're trying to do assistance directly just with cash through other programs. Well, let's bring people up to speed on some activities here at the Kansas Wheat Innovation Center. Just as a refresher for our, our listeners, the Wheat Innovation Center is a farmer-owned, farmer-built research facility here in Manhattan on the north side of town. 
uh, $15 million facility that really was designed 10 years ago to add on to the research capacity of the public breeding programs and provide services for wheat breeders around the world. But it's also become a showcase, so to speak, for both domestic and international visitors. And we've had a couple of trade teams come through Manhattan in the past few months. One of those was a a Chilean team that wanted to talk about soft red winter wheat, which we do grow in the eastern part of the state, and a Colombian trade team. Well, that's yeah. That's uh, the kind of year we've had, Darren. When I'm I'm reduced to doing soft, doing marketing efforts, I'm I'm promoting soft red winter wheat. But uh, certainly, soft red winter wheat has been a bright spot when it comes to uh, uh, export interest and being able to see uh, see uh, buyers from uh, where we have logistical advantages in Central and South America taking advantage of that opportunity and and you know soft red winter wheat is increasingly growing in some acreage in eastern Kansas from a profitability standpoint when you look at things that have tried to identify value for farmers at return per acre and that's what we're really focused on doing here at the innovation center is trying to use genetics to solve problems and create value for for the wheat crop for our farmers um, you know one of the one of the things we talked about last week was you know there's a new soft red winter wheat test plot in northeast kansas that corteva is sponsoring and one of the reasons why is because in a soybean wheat rotation getting that double crop having high yielding wheat in that rotation that's bringing value per acre when you get 100 bushel wheat and 40 bushel soybeans it's you know it's a profitable option for farmers to to add wheat back into the rotation and what that wheat does bringing back to the rotation beyond the value of the grain which you which I know you work really hard at being able to communicate is starting to become a, a, a stronger stronger story so we've had the multiple teams that have come through here and you know it's such a unique opportunity where we're placed at the Kansas Wheat Innovation Center here on the north campus at Kansas State University where we have a great front door to be able to bring international customers there to on behalf of wheat farmers and and tell the Kansas wheat story but all within a parking lot right here we also have the International Grains Program marketing center where they can uh, spend uh, several days marketing and educational opportunities but then the hands-on opportunities on the north side of that same parking lot with the flour mill feed mill and the value added center makes uh, manhattan pretty unique and the fact that kansas uh, wheat farmers have a have a presence being right here is not just unique in the united states but it's unique in the world and a, a really great opportunity for kansas wheat farmers it is a special neighborhood and we we had a great trade team from columbia columbia is one of those countries we have a free treat free trade agreement with. It's very competitive space, Colombia, for wheat. You know, we compete with Canada in that space, but the U.S. has a decent market share, and I hopefully that will increase. One we're really looking forward to, Justin, in the first time in many, many years, there is a Chinese trade team that will be coming through here in Manhattan the last week in October. Why Why is that so special? Well, get it, you know, I, everybody knows who Kafka is, you know, probably uh, alongside Gask and some other government buyers, uh, you know, maybe one of the most sought after and, and watched government buying entities and having Kafka Group come in to speak, travel the United States and be able to visit ports down in the Pacific Northwest and down in the in Houston at the Texas Gulf, but then be able to have them spend some time here in Manhattan. It's pretty, pretty unique and a, a good opportunity to visit with them. Well, we'll have representatives from the trade that will be here. We'll be able to talk about the Innovation Center, what's going on on the variety development side of things, how farmers are investing in their own own future and, and, and for improved genetics. 
and then being able to spend some time with them and have some of our farmer leadership be able to uh, do uh, some meetings and, and spend some informal time with them at a dinner just pretty unique in my time i think the last time it's been over almost 20 years since we've had a kafka group come through kansas and even though they're not buying a lot of hard road winter wheat i think they've done some incremental business you know we want to position ourselves for when they are in the market that they do see hard red winter wheat as a, um, a viable option and and how it does work for for their domestic use and in their products and what a great place to be able to host them and, and talk through those things and hopefully have them leave here with a good feeling about U.S. hard red winter wheat and some things that could happen in the future. And, of course, our domestic market, too, stateside here, we've had some milling and baking companies and, and milling short courses at IGP that have come through the Wheat Innovation Center also. Well, it's it's unique when, when you have International Grains Program does host basic milling short courses and advanced milling short courses where all of our domestic mills and, and mills in, in Canada will send their personnel and they'll spend a week or two weeks in Manhattan training in the facility. I know you you and I both like to try to sneak over and get lunch with them when we can. Free lunch. Yeah, free lunch. <laughs> but that's, and then also for the visits, you know, we had the opportunity to be able to spend some time this just here this last week with some some mill representatives from the from the Northeast milling companies and being able to hear what they're seeing with the crop while they're putting up blends. It really helps us understand, you know, I probably learned as much talking with them as they learn from us while they're here. Having that, that interaction with the domestic milling industry, you know, obviously our largest customer customers really helps fortify that relationship going in the future and what we need to be doing to, from a, production and management side of things from a genetics and variety side of things but then also how do we communicate those things with our domestic users so that farmers and our milling industry are in step and delivering flour to our bakers and our customers and consumers well we had a cog board meeting the kansas association of wheat growers board meeting here in the innovation center a couple weeks ago what's what's all on their table i know farm bill is front and center well i think that was what we spent a lot of time talking about is what's going to happen with the continuing resolution or farm bill extension and watching some of the the key deadlines and of course working with our national association of wheat growers having having that presence in dc is is a big part of uh, what our kansas association wheat growers does and we have we've had so much past leadership that's had direct involvement the national leadership level so having our growers you know be able to talk and communicate about what's going on after a recent fly-in that several of our farmers participated in uh, I think the end of summer the middle of the summer to follow up on on those things but the big thing is just kind of watching what's going to happen with that most likely a an extension and for how long that extension may take place and and trying to see uh, how that will impact and play out but there's a lot of things happening in D.C. right now. We hope that they can get get things a little bit more stability so we can have better discussions with what's going on and try to push some of the initiatives that we'd like to push. But right now it's more of waiting to hopefully let them get things kind of under control. And I know you've got some thoughts on that as well. But I'll keep those to myself. Okay. <laughs> Another VIP guest in the Innovation Center last week, uh, Marshall Stewart, the Senior Vice President for Executive Affairs uh, with K-State, essentially the Chief of Staff for President Linton, came to the Innovation Center. Uh, great opportunity to visit with him. I'm, I'm pretty impressed. Oh, yeah. Didn't you? Th- I mean, didn't he just a special individual, Aaron? Yes. Uh, Dr. Stewart, we're, we're fortunate to have him here at Kansas State University and his leadership and 
the role that he's he's playing is is a, is a unique one. You know, he's he's involved with uh, a lot of new plans that are coming out for Kansas State, some new initiatives that he is working side by side with President Linton on, and you know, whether it's the expanding the Edge District, the new Global Center for Grain and Food Innovation, new Agronomy Innovation Center, all things that are happening under their leadership, and for him to be able to be in the, our Kansas Wheat Innovation Center and see the public-private partnerships that are already happening on campus here in the farmer-owned facility, I think was, um, you know, I think he appreciated spending some time. We had uh, two of our grower leaders with Jay Armstrong and uh, Justin Knopf were able to come in for that visit, but to see those discussions and seeing the type of things that can come out of private industry working with the university to try to identify not just research projects, but research projects that can result in commercializable value-adding prospects for our stakeholders and seeing his intent of having Kansas State fulfill that land-grant mission of adding value for Kansas, you know, he, he gets the fact that through variety development, the economic impact that a variety can have when it's being grown in the state and adding bushels, uh, the value from not just at the farm gate level, but from a rural community standpoint to a processing standpoint and having Kansas State University has that as one of their priorities is exciting to see as well as working with the grain science department on the milling, baking, and feed side of things. Kansas is the leader in pet food manufacturing in the state of Kansas, flour milling capacity with the new protein facilities coming online in Kansas, the baking expansions and leading uh, ingredient suppliers we have in the state of Kansas are all so relevant for what uh, Kansas State is doing from a land grant standpoint and having having him and his leadership and his understanding uh it's pretty exciting to sit back and and listen to him and and see see their vision yeah dr linton dr stewart have a exciting vision of what a modern land grant should be and kansas wheat farmers are well positioned through the weed innovation center to play an exciting role in that well, you mentioned research on new variety development a couple of new varieties released this year from from kansas state university and Towards the end of the year here, we'd like to remind people that if you're thinking about your year-end giving, we do have the Kansas Wheat Commission Research Foundation. Of course, checkoff dollars always go a portion of those to fund wheat research. Commissioners will spend $1.3 million on funding wheat research activities at Kansas State almost every year. But on a year like this, when we've got a smaller crop, we've we've created this foundation to kind of take out the ups and downs of, of research funding in the future. So if, if folks are interested in giving a gift, we encourage you to go to www.fieldsforward.org and learn more about that. And a lot of farmers take the opportunity to donate grain. That is, is one option you can do, but we'd be happy to talk about that with you. And it's really about long-term sustainability of, of research funding and support of the Kansas Wheat Innovation Center. Yeah, it's absolutely a good program. And the work that you and Tammy McClellan do, working with donors and our founding group, when you have that foundation in place, uh, trying to sustain wheat research for the future, it is a it is going to be a strong component. And being able to for individuals to make a tax deductible charitable contribution that's dedicated to wheat research is a unique opportunity through that field support program. And as always, come visit us in Manhattan at Kansas Wheat Innovation Center. Give us a call. We're always happy to uh, show off the place to whoever might 
have an interest in seeing it. Uh, if you ever want to get a hold of us, just call our office at 785-539-0255, and our website is kansasweet.com. Justin, thanks for joining us. You bet. And and uh, if when you make that call to come see, uh, see the Innovation Center, I would suggest that you um, specifically ask for Aaron Harries to be your tour guide. He is one of the best tour guides that we have, and, and how you did those 50 fifth grade students the other day which was a unique opportunity to get them through the labs but uh just one example of the miracles that you were able to pull off here well i've done what any uh smart person would did i delegated that to uh, some young ladies in the office who were better equipped to handle that but it was exciting to have grade school kids through the innovation center start them young right get them get them learning about agriculture early on well the innovation center is an excellent opportunity to be able to tell the kansas wheat story and i i don't think any of us saw that opportunity that we would be presented with a number of people that do want to come through while they're in Manhattan, being able to tell the Kansas wheat story, see the work that's going on from from the genetics down in the labs and the greenhouses. I think everybody that is on a, a tour with Aaron does does leave knowing more about wheat and seeing things with a different perspective. And so the more people we can have see things like that firsthand, um, uh, we certainly welcome that opportunity. But if you can't make it to Manhattan, we have a great new video on our website that does take you on a walk through the Wheat Innovation Center. So take a look at that and then come visit us here in Manhattan sometime. Justin, thanks. Appreciate all you do, Aaron. Thank you very much. My thanks to Justin Gilpin, the CEO of Kansas Wheat, for catching up with us on this Wheat's On Your Mind podcast. Remember, if you have questions about a certain podcast or ideas for a future podcast, please email us at podcast at ksweet.com. I'm Aaron Harries. Thanks for listening.